Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex River BTN, back with another episode here on the Take 10 Podcast, another football-themed episode with a uh, very football-centric guest. Today's guest is a little different from what we normally do, um, not a member of the media, he's not a athlete, nor is he really a conventional guest or like anyone I've had on the show before. Uh, his name is Quincy Avery, and he is a quarterback's coach, kind of a quarterback's guru, guy who's built his own practice and kind of linked up with uh, you know high school, college, and eventually professional athletes, and has built his own business training them. And his link to the Big Ten is he claims at least two of conference's best quarterbacks in Justin Fields out of Ohio State, who might be a Heisman contender and has been awesome and, and dynamite in his first year at Ohio State, and Sean Clifford at Penn State, who has stepped in uh, to the shadows of Trace McSorley and done a really good job leading that offense. And, um, you know, kind of pretty seamless transition, all things considered, in year one at Penn State. So, talk to Quincy Avery about those guys and their skill sets, and uh, more so it's just an interview about how Quincy got to where he is, because he's got a really fascinating story, which he'll get more in depth uh, into in a few minutes here. But basically, he was a volunteer coach for a long time, and kind of had to scrape by, and made some connections and did a great job you know, fostering these relationships with what turned out to be high-profile quarterbacks, and got some clout, got, got his reputation built up. Um, he's trained Deshaun Watson. That's kind of his, his biggest trainee, I guess, and, and is really close with Deshaun still. And has built a whole network of um, of quarterbacks that he's training and, and bringing up, and kind of Mr. Worldwide at this point, going <clears throat> all around the country and even uh, across the globe to teach the quarterback position. So, get to that interview with Quincy in just a moment. Uh, following that, we have a stat head segment with Harold Shelton. If you haven't listened to the show before, Harold is our researcher in-house here at BTN. We have him on pretty much every week to talk Big Ten football and soon to be uh, Big Ten basketball in-depth and uh, behind the numbers. Harold does a really good job breaking everything down and setting the stage for what lies ahead in uh, in Big Ten football, especially with the season kind of barreling toward its final uh, third of the season, I'd say. Kind of kind of the home stretch, not quite, but the last month of the regular season awaits and um, plenty to talk about with three undefeated teams still in the conference and uh, a lot of storylines to go along with those so get to Harold after Quincy but first up it's Quincy Avery he's the president of QB Takeover and like I mentioned the top quarterbacks guru that interview starts right now I'm very pleased to be joined by what I'll call a quarterback guru he's trained quarterbacks all levels of the sport from Big Ten guys Justin Fields and Sean Clifford, all the way up to guys like Deshaun Watson in the NFL. His name is Quincy Avery, and he's the president of uh, QB Takeover. Quincy, what's up, man? What's going on? How you doing today? Doing awesome. Uh, appreciate you taking some time to join me. And I gotta say, just off the top, appreciate you, uh, you know, getting Deshaun Watson to where he's at because he's doing wonders for my fantasy team right now. <laughs> Anything I can do to help your fantasy team, I'm, I'm really here for it. <laughs> That's what's up. Um, but for real, I'm fascinated by kind of how guys, you know, in sort of unconventional yet very successful and influential positions like yourself get to that spot and where they're at and, and what that path to get there entailed. So before we even get to any of the X's and O's stuff, take me through your journey and kind of your introduction to football, whenever that might be, and then we'll go from there to how you got to your, your current spot. 
Yeah, my, my kind of path to get to where I am is, is similar to a lot of other coaches. Like, I was a son of a coach, so my dad coached in the NFL, he coached in college, so he was all over the place. So I, I really grew up in a football locker room. I went on to play in college, and as soon as I got done with that, I uh, got in the car, picked up, shipped out, and went to uh, UCLA and got a, I guess you could call it a job, but I was coaching for free for, for two years there. And then I decided, like, I could be more impactful helping quarterbacks develop on this a private level, on one-on-one, so I could be more focused on just them and their game rather than the team dynamic and, and the uh, X's and O's as much and, you know, wins and losses. So I, I did that, moved back to Atlanta, got a uh, – was fortunate enough to have some really good guys to get started. One of my first clients was Josh Stobbs, who's now at the Jacksonville Jaguars, and uh, got on the Elite 11 staff, and the business kind of took off from there. So how, as a former wide receiver, because you were a wide out in college, right? I was a wide out my last two years. Okay, so, so you know, playing a different position, how do you decide to become a expert at coaching and teaching the quarterback position? Well, uh, I was always really passionate about the quarterback position. I thought I could go to the NFL, so I moved to, made the switch to wide receiver. Uh, but my the only thing that I ever really wanted to do was play quarterback, and uh, those are the rooms that I grew up in, like just seeing quarterback info. And then really diving in when I got around, like, Coach Neuheisel and Coach Storm Chow, uh, it, it let me know that's something that I really wanted to do because they have the, the biggest impact in all of team sports and to be able to help those guys get a little bit better. Uh, I thought I thought it could be very, very meaningful, not only for football teams, but for small communities, high schools, colleges, and, and eventually in the NFL. So I was doing some research on you. I was scrolling through your Twitter account and saw uh, your pinned tweet. You were giving an emotional speech. I believe it was this past Father's Day at one of your camps to all your campers, and you were kind of talking about you know, how much you appreciated them because you you briefly referenced it when we were just talking here about volunteering, but uh, it was a struggle for you for a while in the coaching profession. So if you could sum up that speech and kind of the emotion that went into it and, and the hardships you faced, uh, that'd be awesome. For sure. So um, when I was coaching at UCLA, I didn't get paid. So I'm, I'm living in Westwood, one of the most expensive areas in all the country. So I didn't have enough money to afford a apartment or anything like that. So I spent two years there living out of the locker room. So I would pretty much work all day and night, and then I would go to sleep in the locker room. So that was a bit stressful um, for those two years. And then when I decided I wanted to be a private quarterback instructor, I moved to Atlanta, but I didn't have any clients. So I was I was trying to find kids to train for free, like begging, begging kids around the community to train them for free. I messaged, I messaged thousands of kids, literally. Uh, but I was, I was homeless at that time. I was living in my car. I would take showers at LA Fitness in the morning and then um, go to the coffee shop and start emailing kids about trying to trying to train them. So it just took a it took a good bit um, to really get rolling, like just to find some clients. And then um, at that camp, I had I think it was eighty three kids at a camp, and they paid a, they, they they had to make some sacrifices in terms of financially to be able to go to that camp. So so for me to see how far I'd come and just seeing all the faces sitting there at the camp, that meant a lot to me. So when you were in those coffee shops, you know, emailing kids, trying to trying to make those connections, how did you, I guess, establish an, a genuine connection with kids and, and convince them that you were invested in their futures and that you could help them? 
Uh, I think that when guys get around me, they understand that I care about them more than just a quarterback. I care about them as people as well. Uh, and it's just authentic. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to put on, like, a spiel. Like, if I connect with a kid, I want to keep working with them. And if I don't connect with them, I'm really, really honest with guys and tell them that, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is going to work. So, uh, <laughs> it, 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 kids think me turn kids around who pay good money to train. I think that lets them know that I'm in it for the right reasons. So what point were you introduced to Deshaun Watson? And was that the first guy that would – go on to become like NFL starter. I know you mentioned Josh Dobbs, but how did you get put in touch with somebody who's really uh, emerged as a superstar like Deshaun Watson? So uh, as I was working with Josh Dobbs, he didn't have any offers or anything at the time. We started working together. He made it to the Elite 11. Um, then, then Trent Dilfer saw me out and found that I was working with Josh Dobbs. Um, it was like, yo, he, he's fundamental. They're really, really clean. Would love for you to come out for an interview. So I, I get on the Elite 11 staff and then I meet Deshaun at Atlanta Regional Camp. And then we just kind of connected. We went out to the Elite 11 in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and it kind of just grew from there. So from his 11th grade on, um, that's kind of when our relationship started. And I've been working with him pretty much ever since. And it's been every week, uh, a, a few days every week now in Houston, uh, training him now. Yeah, take me through your kind of weekly schedule, especially during the football season. <laughs> you know, you got to devote time to Deshaun, obviously, but you have other clients as well, I assume. So what's your week yep. looking like? What, what, are you, what are you up to on a kind of hour-by-hour basis? Yeah, so uh, Sundays are, are a really busy day. I kind of started my week on Sundays. That is, I have a 8 a.m. session in Atlanta. Then I travel to Charlotte. I have a 12.45 session. Then I travel from Charlotte to Houston. I have a 6 o'clock session. Uh, then, depending on how Deshaun is feeling, a lot of times he'll work out after a game. So he, he may do a workout that day. Then Monday morning we go through the film uh, from that Houston-Texas game with him. Then we put together a, a swim workout, which is Monday evening. <coughs> Tuesday morning I, I do an on-field session with Deshaun. And then... Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm, I'm usually doing something media-related. Where I'm, like today, I'm out, I happen to be in, in Penn State. I'm going to do something with Sean Clifford. And, and overtime, we're going to do a walk with Q, and we kind of go over some of his big plays this season, what he's done to get there. But, but usually most of my time throughout the week is spent connecting with my college quarterbacks, talking about things they're doing, reviewing their tape, um, and just shooting them some notes. So on one of those days when you're in, like, three cities at once, has, like, flight delays or any, like, unforeseen problems ever popped up that kind of scuttled those plans? Yeah, uh, actually, the first week this year, we had some flight problems. So uh, I, and I, have, I have a staff in all the other cities, so they might be able to hold down the sessions for me for, for one or two times. So it makes it work. I'm curious, you know, at a place like Penn State and anywhere in big-time college football, what kind of freedom do you have to kind of work with a guy like Sean Clifford, and, and what do the uh, stats of these big-time colleges, I guess, think of you when you're coming in to uh, mentor their players, essentially? So uh, I have a really good relationship with, with most of the college coaches, the guys I work with. Uh, but, like, today, I'm, I, during the season, I don't do much work on, like, the fundamentals or on-field with the college guys. They just don't have the same amount of time that uh, NFL quarterbacks have. So 
really all I'm doing is just shooting them notes on, on what's going on. But in the off season when I'm working with these guys, I'm always shooting their quarterback coach or their coordinator some notes. Hey, here's what we're working on. Is there anything specifically you'd like me to do? Um, that kind of lets them know that we're in it together. I want to help them out. Uh, we're doing this as a collective, and I, I want to do what's best for not only the quarterback, but the quarterback's team, so we can do everything we can to make sure that they're uh, primed and ready to go when they hit the field on, on Saturday afternoon. Is it accurate that this business has kind of gone worldwide? I thought I saw some ads on your Instagram that uh, are promoting a camp in London. Is that true? Yeah, I got a camp in London this Saturday. So I'll have probably 16 quarterbacks um, from across the pond over there. And it, it's going to be a cool deal, bringing the game of football um, kind of at a higher level with some some specific quarterback stuff to those guys and see how they can, they can handle it. I did a, a camp earlier this year in London, and I did one in Austria. So I've been over there once or twice. I just want to continue to grow the game. Yeah, what's the appetite for football over there? I know obviously they have the London games going on, but but what's the worldwide, I guess, appetite overseas um, to, to learn the sport and, and, and what's the talent level like? It's growing. Um, there's a couple good guys uh, out there. You'll, you'll catch some guys who are actually pretty talented. The thing that they haven't had is good coaching at a young age, uh, like, like a lot of guys here get. So they're just behind in that manner. But um, they're physically, you know, talented dudes. You see them playing soccer and doing all the other, other things. So you, you know they're athletic. Um, but I was really shocked. The place that I went to um, kind of with the strongest appetite for the game was China this past offseason. I did a camp there. There was, there was over 100 kids at that camp in China, and it was, it was amazing to see. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, those untapped markets, kind of the, the potential for um, you know, the growth of the sport. It's pretty cool to hear that. Um, getting back to yeah. some, some Big Ten guys real quick. Justin Fields, another dual threat, very talented guy from Georgia, kind of like Deshaun Watson. Uh, what made him stand out at a young age, and how did you make that connection? Justin Fields had a ridiculous, ridiculously strong arm, like 7th, 8th grade. Like I, I came out to a session once, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, how old is this kid? Right? You see him make some throws, and your jaw kind of drops. You're like, you're not supposed to be doing that at that age. And then he continued to grow and develop physically, and then he became an elite athlete with his legs. Like, he can run, he can make plays. There's, there's nothing on the football field that he can't do. Um, but most importantly to me is he is uh, – if you had to just play the game from the pocket, let's say you couldn't add anything to the game with your legs, he would still be a premier quarterback. And now you add the dimension that he's a high 4-4, uh, 4-4 speed guy. He's big. He's elusive. He can do all the things you need in the run game. Uh, he's. I knew at a very early age that he was going to have a, a very promising career. Yeah, you mentioned that four four speed. Back to Sean Clifford. That's another guy. You know, you look at him. You might think he's a pa- pocket passer. He's kind of big. Um, but that boy, you know, he can scoot. Like he, I've seen him move on the field. Uh, runs a four 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 five as well, I believe. I didn't know he'd be able to step in like he has and kind of lead that offense, but he's done it really well. What do you like about his game, and, and how did you kind of bring him along? So what was cool about Sean is the spring break before the competition that he had for the starting quarterback job, he came out and he was working with a group of the college guys, uh, and the, the mechanical efficiency that he had, like he throws the ball the right way, he gets his body in the right position, um, and he's playing the game at a high level mentally. 
Like, he understands what he needs to be doing um, from the top up. So that he slowed the game down. His preparation is is excellent. And he puts himself in a position to win each and every week. Um, and that's, that's more due to preparation than anything else. Now, his aptitude is very good. He's a very good athlete. He has the ability to throw the ball. But he's doing so much before the, the play starts, the snaps, the cadence is called that puts him in a position to be successful in terms of manipulating safeties, getting his team in a good plays, and, and the checks and the things that he's required to do at Penn State. Um, it's really fun to watch him go out there and do his thing. So Ohio State plays Penn State in a couple of weeks here in late November. Um, both could be undefeated at that point. I think they will be. What would it be like for you to see, you know, kind of two of your pupils out there competing, and what do you expect to see under center in that game? I think it's going to be intense. I I imagine it's going to be a higher scoring game than people people think. I know Ohio State has an excellent defense. They got Chase Young out there, but you're going to see two quarterbacks playing at the highest level. To me, those are, are two of the top ten quarterbacks in college football right there. So you're going to see a battle of, of two guys who eventually should go on to play football on Sundays, and you don't see that a lot. Like I think people should really cherish it. But I want to see both guys put up 300 some yards in total total offense. It's, I would love to see a game end in a tie. That might not be best for uh, the, the Big Ten's foot, college football playoff hopes, but uh, I see from your perspective why. Um, <laughs> for Ohio State fans listening, and, and just for my personal curiosity, I'm, I'm curious what you think about Dwayne Haskins' development over there in Washington. What do you think uh, he needs to – what position does he need to be in to be successful there uh, you know, it's kind of the QB position is kind of in flux there. I know you've worked with him in the past. What are your thoughts on his start with the Redskins and, um, you know, what he needs to do to get on the field more? Yeah, Dwayne. Dwayne's my guy. So I've been working with Dwayne since he's in 10th grade. Uh, but the, the thing about it is he didn't play a ton of college football. And, and I don't think people think about that enough in terms of what that means when you go to the NFL game. You just need more snaps. Um, so at some point here, he has to get on the field so that, that the Washington Redskins can start developing a plan. I think that he went into an unfortunate situation. It, it, unfortunate in the type of offense that Jay Gruden, Gruden runs. He wants to be so, he wanted to be so pro style that you get into these wordy calls. Um, you just put a lot of extra undue stress on a quarterback um, at a young age. Who might not be as familiar with some of the West Coast things and the West Coast terminology that he was thrown at him so early. So it's going to take him some time to get up to speed. But I think everybody in Washington knows that he's a future, right? They bought into the Dwayne Haskins stock. They drafted him. Uh, they got rid of the coach who may or may not have wanted him there. Uh, so he knows that all these other guys in front of him are just pieces who are going to be there right now, but he's the future of the, the franchise. Um, so, so we'll get on the field soon. I imagine after bye week he'll become the starter, and we'll get an opportunity to see uh, exactly what's going on there. And I think, I think that he's going to surprise some people as he gets more and more NFL snaps. Um, he gets to see what defenses are doing, and he he gets to learn how to prepare like prepare like a professional. Yeah, looking forward to see what he can do uh, out there and, and try and improve that franchise and that team. Uh, last question, Quincy. Before I let you go, you obviously have uh, you know your your eyes locked on uh, the entire sport. So are there any guys coming up that you maybe came in contact with or have worked with that we should keep our eye on? Um, someone that, you know, might come up through the ranks going forward? 
College or you were talking about college or high school guys? High school guys? Let's do high school guys, yeah. Uh, I would take a look at CJ Stroud. Um, he is he's one of the he, he actually won the lead left, came out of nowhere. He's one of the most talented guys that I've seen it and he's talented in a in a way um, that is truly unique. He's more of a pocket passer, but he soaks up every bit of information that he can. He came from some difficult circumstances, which I think grounded him. He didn't get the opportunity to work with a quarterback coach, so he spent all this time searching on YouTube how to how to throw the football. Like, he did the work by himself. There's a lot of other guys who came from a lot more privilege uh, that, that haven't put in the work he's done. So he's somebody that I think in two to three years is going to be the face of college football. All right, we'll keep our eyes on him. And Quincy Avery, appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate you fitting this uh, interview into your busy schedule. Really cool stuff you're doing, really cool thing you've built. So uh, thanks again for, for chatting with me. I appreciate you. All right, shout out once again to Quincy for joining me. Really appreciate him taking some time. Um, as he kind of described, he's got quite the unconventional and unique and busy schedule. So, uh, of him to hop on and share some of his insights. All right, I'll toss it over now to Harold Shelton, BTN researcher. Go behind the numbers and break down stats, analytics, metrics, whatever you want to call it. Behind Big Ten football, talk about last weekend's games. Uh, a lot of games last weekend, not so many coming up this weekend, so we'll uh, get into that at length. It's the stat head segment with Harold Shelton, and it starts right now. All right, very pleased as always to be joined in studio by Harold Shelton, BTM researcher. Harold, how's it going? How's uh, you know, how's your plate? How full is it with hoops starting to creep up on us next week? This is probably the lightest week I've had in a while, just because hoops hasn't fully started yet, and we've only got four games this week. So, kind of nice breather after having eight games last week. Right. So. We're getting ready for the, the, the tough stretch, though, so it's nice to kind of have a breather for a little bit. Yeah, a little buffer this weekend because um, only four games in the Big Ten, eight teams in action. Talk about that a little bit going forward. But, you know, with those four games and basketball not getting quite underway, like you said, just exhibition going on right now, it's kind of the calm before the storm. Um, so enjoy that this week. And while we have that kind of not gap but uh, lighter period in the schedule, I kind of want to take today to – use our discussion about this past weekend's games and kind of use that as an opportunity to reflect on kind of where we're at with, you know, three undefeated teams in the Big Ten, kind of a clearer picture of where teams are and what might um, happen down the stretch in the last month of the season. And then we'll talk some hoops, if that sounds good. Works for me. All right, so let's talk about the top story last week first. I mean, Ohio State kind of crushes Wisconsin. This time they waited until the third quarter to really take off. Uh, it had been the second quarter but Wisconsin made it a game until it wasn't. Um, you know, Ohio State just kind of proving, once again, they're the class of the conference. Yeah, I mean, again, we're, we're at the point now where I'm just wondering if they'll be challenged by anyone in the Big Ten. Um, obviously, they have, you know, a couple top 15 matchups left, you know, when they get Penn State at home and then they go to Michigan the, the following week. Uh, but so far, I mean, the smallest margin of victory they've had is 24 points. They've scored at least 34 in every game. You know, Wisconsin came in as, you know, no worse than a top two defense nationally. And pretty much after halftime, Ohio State did whatever they wanted. 
Honestly, the biggest thing I'd be worried about as an Ohio State fan is something happening to Justin Fields. Yes. Had a couple scares on uh, this past Saturday, and he went out, you know, when the injury tent even at one point, but came back out and was able to finish the game. Really, that's the only thing I could see derailing this thing. I agree. I mean, they're they're so complete everywhere else. They got so much depth uh, up front on the D line, uh, depth in the secondary, receivers, you know, all over the place. I mean, their backup running backs in the top five in Big Ten and rushing yards. I mean, the depth they have is sick all over the place. But like you said, if Justin Fields gets hurt, the whole thing changes. Right. All right. Um, you know, Wisconsin disappointing on their end for the second week in a row. I still don't think they were overrated or anything heading into these last couple of weeks. They've proven it on the field. Um, I, I don't know if one game had anything to do with the other, losing to Illinois, if that carried over to Ohio State or if Ohio State was just that much better. Um, what kind of perspective are you looking at uh, and what lens are you looking at now with Wisconsin season? Uh, I just think it shows that they were a good team and still a good team, but not a great team. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any shame in that. I don't think there's any shame in losing in Columbus. I feel like, you know, again, they've beaten everybody by at least 24 points. I mean, they're kind of a death machine right now. <laughs> just kind of running rough shot throughout the league. Um no, obviously the way that they started the season, you know, with all of the shutouts and you know all of the crazy defensive numbers, made it may have made us view Wisconsin in a higher light. Um, I still think they're a really good team. I still wouldn't be shocked if they found a way to Indy, but I just don't think they're on Ohio State's level. But it might only be two or three teams in the nation that are. All right. So looking at the other undefeated teams in the Big Ten, Minnesota and Penn State. Both did their parts this past weekend to set up the undefeated matchup next weekend after their bye this weekend when they play each other. Um, you know, both teams are kind of flying high. Do you see um, Minnesota? I, I guess Minnesota would, would it would be considered an upset. I, I mean, obviously we don't have the line or anything yet, but be considered an upset if they were to, to beat Penn State. Penn State's been a little more impressive throughout the season. Um, how do you kind of view their parallel trajectories here as they as they meet um, a week from Saturday? Yeah, so I saw this morning Penn State, I think, was a six-and-a-half-point favorite for that game. So, yeah, I guess it would uh, qualify as an upset. But um, I've kind of been on the Minnesota wagon for a while now, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm not really too surprised that they're 8-0 at this point. I think that we kind of fall into this trap of because of the name on the front of the jersey, we find ways to discredit what they're doing as opposed to just looking at them and saying, hey, they're playing really, really good football. Um, you know, we, we've hold the Georgia Southern game and the South Dakota State game and the Fresno State game game against them as opposed to seeing them win 52 to 10, win 40 to 17, win 42 to 7, win 34 to 7. It's like, what more do they have to do? Mm. You know, they've beaten four straight Big Ten teams by 20 points or more, and it's like, well, I don't know how good they are. Oh, they haven't played anybody. It's like, if Wisconsin or Iowa were doing this, we'd be talking about how great they are and how they're hitting their stride and how they're the favorite, and somehow we're still trying to justify the fact that they're good. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they found a way against Penn State. I mean, um, Minnesota's biggest thing is they just they would have to keep Penn State in front of them and not a lot of big plays. Penn State at this point just kind of seems like a a boom or bust offense. Um, you know, they barely got over 300 yards against Michigan State. I know a lot of that was ran and they were in control of the game, but the 302 yards they had is the most they've had in the last three games. So I mean, they're they're finding ways to win, and obviously Penn State's played a tougher schedule than Minnesota, so they're doing a really good job. But I would not be shocked if that game is close, and I would not be shocked if Minnesota won. Yeah, <clears throat> and Penn or Minnesota is not the same team. 
that they were, to your point, you know, in those first three games. They're just not like they've turned a corner. You see it once in a while in college football seasons where, you know, the the team in November doesn't resemble the team in September whatsoever. Minnesota's definitely a, a good case in point of that. Um, other notables from this past weekend, Indiana being bowl eligible already is significant. I think it was the first time since 93 that it's been this early, or what's the, what's the number? I saw so, uh, significant, you know, gaps since the last time they qualified this early. Yeah, best eight-game start for them since 93. That's when they what were it was. They were 7-1, 6-2 uh, and two right now. You know, only the fourth time they've been bowl eligible in the last 25 years. Um, and so there's more out there for them. I mean, they've got – you know, Northwestern at home this week. You know, got a struggling Purdue team at the end of the year. Uh, potentially get Michigan. I mean, they get Michigan at home. They've played them tough in the past. I mean, that's the one I'm looking forward to because Indiana is having a very nice season. It's a good story for the conference and for those uh, those fans. But they still haven't had the opportunity to win that big game necessarily. Right. The one they played was against Ohio State, and that just wasn't going to happen this year. Um, so yeah, Michigan's going to pose a great opportunity for Indiana and that program to kind of finally get over that big game hurdle that um, you know I, I kind of look to see if they've turned that corner every year. Yeah, and it's, Indiana's schedule is really interesting because they play at Penn State, I believe it's on the 16th, and that'll be right after Penn State plays Minnesota mm-hmm. and right before they play Ohio State. Sure. So you got the potential trap there. Then they play Michigan at home. And that's between Michigan playing Michigan State and Michigan playing Ohio State. So they've got two opportunities for, like, trap games against the ranked teams that they play against. And who knows if they if this offense continues to roll like it has been, you know, the last five or six weeks, maybe they pull one of those upsets off. Yeah. Uh, swinging back to the West real quick, Iowa is kind of that team that's lurking right now. Um, you know, not, not out of it by any means and, and kind of waiting to see what Minnesota does with Penn State. And, uh, you know, the Axe game will also knock one of those teams down to peg between Minnesota and Wisconsin. So what do you think about Iowa with them taking care of business against Northwestern? Do you think they're in a, in a position to time this right and play their best football at a critical time of the year? They're kind of the forgotten about team in the West. Um, you know, they lost two really tough, close games against two top 15 teams in the East. Um, and, you know, people kind of thought, oh, well, Iowa's not any good. And everyone's kind of talking, you know, it was Wisconsin for a while and now it's Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But Iowa's still in that mix. They're tied with Wisconsin in the, in the uh, West Division. You know, they host Minnesota. You know, they're at Wisconsin next week. So mm-hmm. I think they're still going to have a big say in this, whether they actually can find enough offense to win those games remains to be seen. That's kind of been the one issue for them. But the defense has been lights out against everybody they've played. So they're going to be in every game. All right, Rutgers got a win. Nice to see them uh, get back in the win column against Liberty. You know, it's it's nice, I think, to have an interim coach there who doesn't have much experience. And for players, you know, the ones that have stuck with each other and on the roster, you know, for them to get that win is good to see. But uh, the big story besides, um, you know, all the points we hit already was is Michigan's kind of resurgence. That was by far their best performance of the year. Um, and they've been playing some sneaky good football, you know, after coming a drop touchdown away from taking Penn State to overtime at home and then blowing the doors off Notre Dame. What changed for them, especially scoring that many points in some miserable conditions? Yeah, it's funny, you know, after the Wisconsin game where they were blown out and, you know, the Illinois game where they were up 28 nothing and let the line not back in, everybody's kind of like, oh, what's wrong with Michigan? They mm-hmm. suck. They're going to get blown out at Penn State, blah, blah, blah. And they seem to have found something in that second half. 
uh, in-state college, even though they lost the game, kind of carried over. Uh, they've been able to kind of impose their will, um, I'd say, over the last six quarters. Uh, Notre Dame, it's funny, people thought that Notre Dame's defense would be pretty good because they were able to slow down Georgia's run game. And then <laughs> come this past right. Saturday, they clearly yeah, yeah. clearly couldn't do anything against that Michigan front. I mean, Michigan was able to control tempo offensively and defensively. Best performance of the Harbaugh era, considering the opponent. Uh, biggest top 10 win they've had in over 40 years. Um, I think Michigan's hitting their stride at the right time. Uh, you know, a couple rivalry games left. You know, we'll see if that can carry over even more. Looking back to the East, uh, just to kind of take one more big picture, look at everything. How do you think Penn State's talent stacks up to Ohio State? Like, can they keep up with them? If they do meet at 10-0, you know, it's a very rare um, occurrence that two 10-0 teams meet, obviously, like that late in the year with that, those records, and it's possible. Um, so say Penn State survives Minnesota. Do you think, just on paper, looking at it right now, they are in that stratosphere? I'd be really surprised if Penn State won that game. I just th- And that's nothing against Penn State. I just think Ohio State is that good. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be the best team I've seen since the network started. Um, they 2007? Are, yeah. Yep. They, they are scary good right now. Uh, the fact that we're talking about potentially three Heisman candidates from the same team with Fields, Dobbins, and now Chase Youngs put himself in the mix with that monster game he had against Wisconsin. Um, I, if that game was in State College, I think Penn State would have a pretty good shot. You know, they, they should have beat him last year there. Uh, he beat him two years ago up there, took him to double OT up there in 14. But Columbus, I think that that's a tall task. Right. Those games have been so good uh, the last two years. I think they're both one-point games. Yep. Uh, really thrilling games. You know, Barkley, Penn Saquon State Barkley went up. Yeah, they should have won both. Ago. It was Saquon that I remember uh, taking the kickback. Yep. And then Benjamin Victor last year bringing Ohio State back. Those are the two plays that st- stick out in my mind. Uh, and then also JT Barrett. Perfect 2017, yeah, leading them down, uh, you know, kind of making up for the, that uh, domination that Saquon had. I want to get your thoughts uh, before we move on and look ahead to this upcoming weekend. Why you think Ohio State has been able to fix what ailed them last year in just one offseason, especially with a new coach coming in? Like, how much credit does Ryan Day get for this? How much credit does he get for bringing in the right assistants and coordinators to maybe shore up the defense? They fixed their running game and their defense, and you know they didn't just like improve it. They pretty much had perfected it to this point so far. So, what do you think have been the biggest differences? I feel like there's a lot there. Um, I guess we could start offensively. I think it helps that they have a running quarterback, and so when you try to do RPOs, you don't know who to account for mm-hmm. because they put so much pressure on you, whether it's Dobbins, whether it's Teague, and if you try to take that guy away, then Fields can take it himself. So last year, you knew Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to run unless it was just absolutely necessary. Stuff broke down, and he would, you know, try to take off. But that was very, very rare. Or if you're Stephen A. Smith, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to go down that road. But uh, yeah, last year, I mean, you pretty much knew you could load the box and try to stop the run. They couldn't run the ball until November. Um, but now you have, you know, when you have that threat, a quarterback that can run it, and he's faster than Barrett. You know, more explosive than Barrett was obviously more explosive than Haskins was as a runner. So I think having that element is is a big key. I think Ryan Day has done a fantastic job uh, you know, with the tempo, 
And it seems like that avalanche starts when they get a couple first downs, they go up tempo, guys get all out of position, they start to figure stuff out. And then those three and four yard gains turn to seven, eight yard gains, and then they turn into 20 yard gains, and, and they're in the end zone. Uh, defensively, I feel like you know the the additions of the two Michigan guys. Honestly, uh, getting Greg Madison to come over as the DC, getting Al Washington as the linebackers coach, uh, they hired Jeff Halfley, you know, also to help out in the secondary. They're playing a lot more zone this year as opposed to man. I want to say last year they were around 68% man coverage, so you would see sometimes safeties get lined up on Rondell Moore. Not a great matchup. Right. You don't have to worry about that this year they're pretty much 50% man 50% zone so they're keeping stuff in front of them and then when they have these big leads it just turns into a pass rush drill and they've got they pretty much rotate 8 to 10 guys up front Mm -hmm. and they could just pin their ears back and go get the quarterback it's going to be interesting to see you know this is a good problem to have but when they do get in a close game how they react right like you know you've been blowing everyone out all season all of a sudden team turns the heat up on you you know you get to the fourth quarter it's a one possession game that, you know, like I said, great problem to have, but it's probably going to happen at some point, and whether it happens against Penn State or the Big Ten Championship game or in the college football playoff. Uh, it's maybe, be, maybe at Michigan. We'll see. Or at Michigan, yeah. yeah can't can't forget that one. Um, especially, you know, being at the big house and, and with Michigan looking better and, and wanting to kind of erase that embarrassment from last year. So uh, a lot to look forward to. Let's, let's dial it back to this weekend, though. This upcoming weekend and look at kind of a bare cupboard here um you know we only got eight big 10 teams in action that's four games and we've been spoiled with the ranked matchups lately i know like a month ago i was bemoaning the lack of big time matchups and that was before like the avalanche upsets started happening right. in college football we had three straight weeks where a top 10 team has gone down at the hands of an unranked team yep. so you know i'll take a little credit for spurring the college football season to action here. Well done by you. Thank you. And, um, you know, now I kind of have to bite my tongue because we're back to, I don't know about nationally, but uh, no top 20 or top 25 matchups in the Big Ten. We'll talk about it anyway because that's what we do here at BTN. So we'll start off with Nebraska at Purdue. That's Fox's big noon game. Um, Nebraska needing a win for their bowl hopes they got two really tough games still remaining and two winnable games they're sitting at four wins and purdue just looking for any sort of uh win to kind of boost their record because they lost a critical game last weekend so what do you see out of that one do do you think uh purdue can get their passing game going assuming the weather's a little better this weekend and uh nebraska kind of with some uncertainty right now you know you got scott frost talking about hoodies at the press conferences you know the fans are disappointed obviously if they're lost to indiana who do you think gets back on track here? Uh, I would like to think Nebraska would get back on track, but, you know, just kind of the way that this is going, it seems like whenever they're locked in a close game, they kind of get into the, oh, here we go again stuff, and they find ways to lose. Um, and so I think if they wind up getting a, a comfortable lead on Purdue, then they could be fine. Off is close, you know, and the odds makers expect it to be close, right. then, you know, that could be a, a, a dangerous situation if uh, – you know, Purdue could find a way to win. Now, Jack Plummer is supposed to start again this week. He was pulled last week, you know, after he threw that pick six against your boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aiden O'Connell was decent, but they still have issues there at quarterback. 
Uh, Nebraska's issue has kind of been against the run, and we know Purdue doesn't run it well at all, so that might be an advantage for the Huskers. I, I think Nebraska wins that game, but I don't feel great either way on that one. That's a complete coin flip. All right, so the remaining three games, Michigan at Maryland, Rutgers, Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana. Out of those three underdogs, who do you think is the best chance to rise up and pull an upset? I've been saying for the last you know few weeks, since it was kind of established that Northwestern was having a down year, they're going to rise up and get somebody before right. the end of the season. Um, I don't see it uh, regarding Rutgers at Illinois, um, and I don't really see Maryland, just the way they're trending, them beating a Michigan team on the upswing. So what, do you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, I mean, you kind of nailed it, I would say, uh, and it's kind of a process of elimination mm-hmm. just because, like you said, I, I don't see Rutgers you know, going to Illinois and winning um, as bad as Maryland has looked on defense, I have a hard time seeing them stopping Michigan, uh, whether that's running or through the air. Uh, so I guess process of elimination says Northwestern with the best defense of those underdogs has a chance to at least stay in it that way. Problem is they can't score. I mean, 75 points in seven games, I mean, it's this is a bad deal. And the fact that they're – you know, one and six after, you know, going to the Big Ten Championship game last it's year. Hard to believe. And it's, I mean, people thought that, you know, they would struggle a little, you know, just because that schedule was so tough. You know, they had four ranked teams in the first seven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of supposed to be the easy part of the schedule. And now you see a six and two Indiana team. I'm sure they weren't planning on that. Right. Uh, but I would have to say Northwestern, but. What does that really mean? I mean, the line's like eleven and a half. I mean, it makes I you kind of like a score. It makes you appreciate uh, Clayton Thorson. You know what yeah, he was able to absolutely. do. Absolutely, because you, you take away one of their better quarterbacks they've had. They've had a lot of good quarterbacks in the last decade plus, but um, he, you know, what he was able to do and take them to to Indy and you know, defense is also really good last year, but just none of it's come together for them. But again, I still think they're going to rise up and get somebody. I don't think Fitzgerald's going to let them have a one win season. I just don't. No, I agree. I mean, they'll and they, they get UMass later in the year. So That's I'm true. Sure they can get yeah. them, but you know, I don't know if they can go winless in conference. I do think they'll get somebody. I'm just not sure who the way this offense is looking right now. All right, we'll move on um, past the, I guess, sort of dead slate. The, the last one of the year where, where we have such a low key weekend. I know just with the two buys, like it pops up every once in a while, um, but things will pick back up after this upcoming weekend. But I want to talk a little basketball before we sign off here, age because exhibition play got underway with uh, your boys this past Tuesday, and, and uh, Tom Izzo's son made national headlines, Stephen Izzo, by getting a, a free throw to, to bounce in. And we had Indiana in action. I think Minnesota was playing the other night. So exhibition's well underway, and the regular season, the real thing, starts next week. And it starts with a very loaded Tuesday slate headline by... The aforementioned Spartans. So take us through what you're expecting out of Michigan State, uh, you know, with the immediate test against number two Kentucky. It's number one versus number two. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they got a one versus two game right out of the gate kind of lets you – it's a nice barometer to see where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had the scrimmage against Gonzaga – Kind of got their, their butt kicked a little bit. And now Was one, that one of the secret scrimmages? One of the secret scrimmages okay, played out in so Denver. Right. Um, kind of got their butt whipped a little bit. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, granted, that Gonzaga team had a lot of size. They're playing a Kentucky team that doesn't have as much. And then one of their best players, you know, went down with an ankle injury. We'll see, you know, what his status is for that game. But, yeah, just the fact that they got a one-verse-two 
you know, I saw them play in a one versus two game in Champions Classic here. I uh, said Michigan State was number two and beat top ranked Kentucky back mm-hmm. in 2013. Uh, you know, I think we've lost three straight Champions Classic games. It'd be nice to to get back on a good foot and you know beat Kentucky because I mean this schedule they have is brutal to start the year. Michigan State is Michigan State. They, I they, assumed it would be. I haven't gotten a chance to look, but that's kind of how it usually is. I feel like because so, they got Kentucky in New York. Then they play in Maui, could potentially meet up it's with right Kansas. right there in Maui, yeah. Could potentially meet up with Kansas on the opposite side in a championship game, who's ranked number three. Then they get Duke in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Right. They're four. And then they're at Seton Hall for the Gavit games. And I Seton think Hall's got like this year, like top 15, yeah. So the fact that they're going to potentially play, you know, four top 12 teams in the first month of the year, <laughs> you're gonna learn, we're going to learn a lot about them with really, a, really quick. With the Joshua Langford setback, too. Exactly. So, you know, you're, you're a little shorthanded out the gates. Um, I kind of fumbled the bag a little bit because I didn't realize this game was in New York City. I'll be there this weekend, but not for the game. I'll be back here by the time oh, the game's over. I would have tried to go. Right, exactly. So, um, I always kind of assumed that it was like an Indy or Chicago. I've forgotten that it goes. It rotates out to MSG mm-hmm. once in a while. But I'll be watching regardless. And um, another interesting bit of news that popped up, Jordan Bohannon looks like he's going to give it a go. Um, I don't know, if, like, if he's testing it out in the exhibition game this week that he has been announced that he'll probably play in, or if he's going to be full go. I don't think anyone really knows at this point, but that's a huge boost, to Iowa. That's a huge boost. I mean, you know, it'd be nice if they could kind of get back to the tournament and build off of what they had last year. And I don't think there's any chance they could do that without you know a healthy Bohannon. So the the, the fact that he's willing to give it a go now compared to what we heard where there was no no sign of when he was coming back. Mm-hmm. The fact that he could already be back now is, is a, a great sign for Iowa, and hopefully he's healthy enough to give it a go and, and have a great season. Uh, one other game that I'd marked down, you know, there's a bunch of kind of dog games on Tuesday, but there's one that uh, was interesting last year. It kind of set the tone for Ohio State's pretty good year last year when they beat Cincinnati. Um, I think they got a rematch coming up, and Ohio State has high expectations going into this year. I don't know anything about Cincinnati. I don't know if uh, you have a read on them, but that should be another interesting game that will take place before we get a chance to talk again. Yeah, I'm always a fan of in-state games in mm-hmm. general, and I know uh, before last year those teams hadn't played in a long, long, long time, especially in the regular season. So it's always good to kind of see you know, in-state matchups, even though they're in different conferences. That's why I love seeing Marquette and Wisconsin play every year. Sure. You know, it would be nice to see like Ohio State and Cincinnati continue that going yeah, forward. Crossroads in Indiana. It's, it's exactly. A, it's a great one. And then a couple other ones next week um, that we can talk about next week when we sit down and chat. Texas-Purdue, Illinois-Arizona. Those will be uh, some fun ones. And, and it's always good to see some sizzle in the first week of the college basketball season. It'll uh, get us off to a fast start. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And then I know we've got uh, Gavit games coming up in a couple weeks. So we're going to have a lot more uh, really good matchups. So definitely helps to uh, to get some heavy hitters going before Thanksgiving. It's always a good thing. All right, H, good stuff. We will talk again next week, same time, same place. See you then. Sounds good, man. All right, thanks once again to Harold and Quincy for joining me. Really appreciate their time. Appreciate all the listeners' time uh, for everyone who tuned in. And quick reminder before we get out of here that you can subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and even on Big Ten Network YouTube channel, there's a playlist of all the Take Ten podcast episodes that you can subscribe to as well. All right, thanks once again to everyone for tuning in. Thank you to my producer, 
Julie Bronder for putting the show together. And we'll keep it rolling here on the Take 10 Podcast as football season moves along. And as basketball season gets underway next week, which I uh, can't wait for that. Should be a lot of fun. Number one, Michigan State versus number two, Kentucky on Tuesday night at MSG in New York. That'll be a must-see uh, game, and we'll be talking about it next week, I'm sure. We'll mix in some basketball guests as we get into November and beyond. And promise you we'll talk to you soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.